0: This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by
1: Whoscored.com Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by Whoscored.com in association with Bette Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Jonathan Wilson and Martin Lawrence from Whoscored to preview the Premier League action. And first, even though we've not looked at the Carabao Cup throughout the entirety of the season, we are going to look at the Carabao Cup final, Martin? that's a final, isn't it? Big yeah, game. It's, it's, it's a big. That to be fair, I'm, I'm belittling it a little bit, but I'd do absolutely anything for Villa to win the Carabao just <laughs> yeah. just to just to win something. We've got a yeah. team of the tournament, haven't we, Martin? Who scored have covered the entire tournament for the first time this season in uh,
0: up to stats, which enables us to to run our ratings on the um, and build the 11s that you guys all wholeheartedly agree with every week. Um, so there are four finalists in the in the team um obviously it's a tournament where so many teams chop and change so uh, it is quite hard to, to, to even qualify for this because we have set it as needing four appearances in the tournament to qualify so it's an experimental 11 shall we say uh but it starts off with a topical one that we'll come on to later and it's uh Kepa Arizbilaga in goal uh he's played all five games for Chelsea in the Carabao Cup uh first two of those went to penalty shootouts where he, he Made saves in those penalty shootouts, and that could come into play this weekend as well. And then he kept uh, three clean sheets after that against Brentford and then against Tottenham twice. Uh, So he's in goal. The right back is Cedric Suarez, who Arsenal fans don't love at all, but he has played well in the tournament this season, two assists in four games. Uh, Centre back is actually a Liverpool player, but not at Liverpool, uh, Sep Vandenberg. Who Preston fans are enjoying this season. He's played well both at centre back and at right back. He's got a goal in the tournament this season, 22 tackles and interceptions combined as well in just four games. Uh, he's partnered by another Championship centre back in Rob Dickey from QPR. He scored in each of the first two rounds and made 11 tackles in four appearances. The left back is another Chelsea player, Marcus Alonso. Got got an assist against Tottenham. Nine chances created in the tournament. Uh, we've got it as a four three three. Uh, So in central midfield, we have Saman Godos, uh, who's of Brentford, another player who's sort of rotated in in the cup and performed well, got three assists in the tournament, nine chances created again. And another interesting player looking ahead to the final, Sal Niguez uh, is uh, in the side. He's been excellent in the League Cup. Some people might say he's found his level there, but uh, as the season's gone on, he's certainly improved for Chelsea and and been an asset to them. Uh, He made 21 tackles in four appearances uh, in the Carabao Cup alone. What was, at least success, nine... what was his
1: success, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't check. Would you believe that? I didn't check. But yeah, that's at least nine more than any other player in the tournament. So a lot of tackles could be u- could be needed this uh, weekend. Uh, the only Liverpool player in the eleven again, partly because they chop and change so much, is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Scored in the comeback against Leicester, uh, got an assist against Norwich, completed 11 dribbles in his four appearances in the tournament. Then a front three of the joint two top scorers in Marcus Force of Brentford, who's now at Hull, I believe, on loan, and Eddie Nketiah, who had an impact in midweek for Arsenal in a big game for them. Both scored five goals, and up front uh, in the three is Emil Reese Jakobsen, again of Preston, four goals and an assist for him.
1: Probably the worst eleven I've I've ever heard on this show. It is the the Carabao, the Carabao Carabao Cup topical, it is the mm. Carabao Cup, Jonathan, so difficult to argue with it from our point of view, I guess.
2: Sorry, I, yeah,
1: yes, it was great. <laughs> uh, can at, you, I can, can you name me one player that was in that eleven now, if I, if I, tested, if I tested you? Yeah, I've Marcus got... Alonso, because I, okay, I was well, I thinking
2: um, he would, yeah, certainly, in terms of my memory, he would have been in the uh, League Cup eleven for 2013-14 as well.
1: Is that bolted me.
2: No, Sunderland. Sunderland, oh, Is obviously. It Sunderland? So... Oh,
1: yeah. dear. Well sure
0: Surely, Jonathan has fond memories of Sunderland's Great Cup run this season in the
2: tournament. not really. It was just a bit of a bit of a waste of energy for all concerned. <laughs> I Much mean, I feel like yeah. this
1: this section. <laughs> <laughs> Carabao Cup final on Sunday. Let's preview it, Chelsea. Not the side I thought they were going to be this season, I'm, I'm going to be honest. They're pretty ineffective in attack at the moment. Lukaku, Havertz, Werner, they've all pretty much underwhelmed this season. But yeah, why?
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd be slightly gentler on on Havertz. I, mean, I don't think he's had a great season by any means, but I think he has offered a bit more and I think they do look better when he's there than, than the other two. But yeah, I mean, it's obvious that Lukaku's been the huge disappointment that when he arrived for yeah, near enough 100 million quid, you sort of, in my sense, and I'm... I'm yeah, i think most people sense were that he was exactly what they needed that he had that that mobility to to get out of the way to let let the the other you know the sort of two inside forwards in that 3-4-3 three, three, break forward but he also offered them an option if you wanted to sing balls in the box uh and neither thing has really worked i mean he he bullied arsenal in that first game in his debut and since then it's hard to think of him playing well um that performance last saturday against palace um yeah seven touches is is astonishing was it was it two touches in the first half one of them the kick off yeah one of the touches um,
0: was the kick off yeah
2: which yeah uh, you, know, you start to think i mean i'm 45 i've always been rubbish at football if i kicked off would i back myself to get another touch in a half <laughs> And I don't know, actually. Maybe it is really hard. I mean, obviously, it's really hard. And clearly, that's not entirely fair because Lukaku wasn't just trying to get a touch. I'd back you to get yeah.
1: that second touch because you could literally just you just go and tackle your own player if you really wanted another touch of the ball, couldn't you? Yeah. I'd say absolutely. you would get that second touch.
2: I reckon they're good enough that I wouldn't tackle them. I mean, maybe when I first go in for it, that, that would sort of, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't be expecting it. I could sneak up on them, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, 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 and Tickle's response to that you know he's asked is it the system which which gave him this sort of easy out he could have said oh you know the the things generally didn't quite work it's not really to do with with Lukaku um you know it's just we lacked a bit of fluidity but he didn't he basically said no it's Lukaku's fault and the impression he gave was there was almost of this uh it's almost like a passive aggression from from Lukaku that I mean and if that is true then obviously the relationship is absolutely doomed but it's hard to see how Lukaku starts in a major game now I mean, they look much better without him against Lille on Tuesday, um, particularly that first sort of quarter of an hour or so. Chelsea looked really good going forward, and Havertz, Havertz had had eight touches within the first 13, 15, 14 minutes, minutes 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes. Um, so, yeah, you, you would assume that, that that Havertz starts in this game. Yeah, I mean,
1: we're Villa fans, Martin. So, you know, Lukaku has had two of his good games against Aston <laughs> Villa this season, scored three <laughs> goals against us as the season's gone through. Feels like a, a really strange one because it just felt like something that was definitely a hundred percent gonna work and make Chelsea better. Chelsea do chop and change so much in that
0: in those positions behind the striker as well as, as well as the striker itself. Uh, he started twenty-two games this season. The most he's played with any sort of attack-minded player is mount, and that's thirteen. The most starts he's he's had with any teammate. Um eleven with Ziesch, ten Hudson and nine only nine with Habits, only seven with Werner. So The signing didn't really, well, it did make sense. But in terms of you're not going to fit in Havertz, Werner and Lukaku, that's fine. But you have spent £220 million on three forwards, none of whom have really worked in the Premier League, I would say at least. Havertz has certainly looked a lot better, I think, in the Champions League. And I'd say that probably true of of Werner as well than the Premier League, which suggests that they've struggled to adapt to sort of the English game. Werner's got as many goals in the Champions League as he has in the Premier League, seven seven goals in 16 games compared to seven in 46 in the Premier League and and Havertz's stats are way up in the Champions League compared to the Premier League as well, he's rating 6.98 in the Champions League, only 6.66 which is really, really poor in the Premier League and I, I know he's a young player and he's had issues during his time injuries, Covid, um, but in the Premier League particularly he has sort of flattered this to deceive uh, so it isn't just Lukaku but That's I I don't I think you've got three strikers there and they're all completely different or three forwards. Maybe Havertz isn't a striker, but you've got the sort of false nine type striker in Havertz, you've got a Pacey getting behind striker in Werner, and you've got a hold up striker in Lukaku, and none of them have worked. (laughs) You've got every option covered. So it does I would say it does boil down to the system a bit. Maybe not in you can isolate games and say no, that wasn't the system, but if you spent £220 million on three forwards and none of them are scoring goals, if Chelsea stop winning things, then that will start to become a problem for Tuchel, I think.
2: I I guess the the, the injuries to the wing-backs have cut off that supply. Not that it was great before that. So, you know, they've gone to a back four, but that hasn't really worked either. So you then start to say, well, is it something to do with the midfield? And maybe, I don't know, I I feel slightly uncomfortable saying this, but... Does Jorginho slow them down too much? as his because his natural pass is to hold possession rather than necessarily to play a risky pass, which gives them you know, a level of control and is you know, seems to have been vital to them winning the Champions League and 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 he obviously played very well for for Italy as well in the Euros, um, but maybe may, maybe he does make it difficult for the forwards um, and then you know if if it is true that Juventus are, are interested in him, may, maybe he is a player Chelsea can cash in on um, and then maybe go for a slightly more dynamic holding player like Declan Rice or mm. um, somebody else of, of that ilk.
1: I'm just thinking again back to that Villa game at Stanford Bridge because it, it was a good game that he had and I remember it. I think Kovacic played central midfield really that day more, and gone, yeah, released yeah. the ball quickly, didn't he? Got him mm. on the run and he, he terrorised Wanzebe that day and, and got that early goal. I also think Jonathan, maybe the, the makeup behind him, they haven't found, that doesn't really suit me. There's not the right kind of player there. There's a real ball carrier. I mean, I might be forgetting someone because Chelsea have got so many options, but it feels like there's no real ball carrier in those two positions behind him. You'd think that Mountain Ziyech, you know, is, I don't, yeah, I don't think he's
2: a top, top-level player, but... Yeah, he, he's, he's good enough for carrying the ball, you'd have thought. The absence of Mountsad maybe has stopped relationships developing. My, my, my sense is it's, it's it's the line behind that that's problematic, that yeah, if you play – so so none of – and this is a problem that Sarri sort of introduced to the club by bringing in Jorginho. Um, if you play Jorginho, Kante and Kovacic, or you know two of those three there, uh, a low – Covington's forward distribution is good. A low Cante, as we saw against Leal, is is very good at driving forward. None of those three players have ever been remotely prolific. You know, none of those are going to be making runs that go beyond that front three, um, and maybe that becomes a problem. That 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 the attack becomes it's very much those three or the wing backs. And when the wing backs are injured. Well, it's those three and you're not really getting goals from anywhere else.
1: Whilst well, Chelsea struggle to adapt, Martin, and we're looking at how we fit their players in, Liverpool have got their strongest squad I think they've ever had in my time watching football now. But everything they do seems to work. When you look at Jota in
0: particular, and obviously Chelsea have gone for the the big-name signings that what might pe- people might see as obvious signings uh, and big money. Someone like Jota w- wasn't seen as that. When when Liverpool spent 40 million on Jota, there were some eyebrows raised. He hadn't really been prolific in in the Premier League, but he's he alone has scored 21 Premier League goals between Havertz, Lukaku, and Werner for Chelsea. They've scored 18. Um, so, that is a great stat. So the way he's uh, thank you, Dan. The way he's adapted has been sensational, and I think we're seeing that already with Luis Diaz as well. And how f- frightening they looked in, in midweek with that front three, that just ultra-dynamic front three of Diaz, uh, Mané leading the line and, and Salah. It was just carnage for Leeds, um, who <laughs> who aren't the best defensively, it should be said. But, but yeah, the, those the players, the, the signings that they identify, even Luis Diaz, less obvious, so to speak, than someone like a Lukaku or a Werner or Havertz who had been sort of lighting it up in, in another one of Europe's sort of maybe more elite leagues uh than Portugal. But Diaz, they've identified him as someone who can probably replace Manet. And already he just looks so up to it. He looks lightning. And the front I think the difference is Liverpool's midfield three is designed to let the front three do their work, basically. And I don't think that's the, the case at Chelsea and will never really be the case. Uh, under a Thomas
1: Tuchel side. Would Lukaku score goals at Liverpool, Jonathan?
2: I mean, insignificantly I would say yes, but insignificantly he said yes at Chelsea. So, um, I don't know, he's he's such a funny player. that Because he, you know he sort of thought he'd score goals at Manchester United as well. and, and I mean, he scored some, but nowhere near the, the quantities he thought he would get. So, maybe he's, he's just not quite cut out for the very top level of the Premier League.
0: I think he's the sort of striker that you almost have to build a team around. You have yeah, the team has to be geared around Lukaku. It, it was, to an extent, at Inter. Obviously, he had a great, great relationship with Martinez up front. But at Everton, West Brom, they're always going to play into Lukaku's strengths. Whereas when you've got better players around you, I'm not. That's no disres- Not meant as disrespect to Inter, who have great players. But the system wasn't geared around him, and, and even Belgium, who have amazing players as well. So much of their play is directed through Lukaku, who has an, obviously a sensational record at, at international level. And
2: but what I find out about that is that his range of attributes is so great. Mm. You know, his movement is certainly for Belgium is great. You know, the way he pulls out to the right and creates space for De Bruyne, uh, the way he played on the right wing in that game in the quarterfinal in two thousand eighteen against Brazil, uh, and you know, he's obviously huge and can physically intimidate defenders so he's got both of those i I, what i don't get is how he doesn't just sort of fit into any system because it seems to me he can do anything Mm um so you know it feels like it's some kind of you know mental block there and it's not you know i think it's fairly obvious that he and tuchel don't get on um i know there was occasionally bits of friction at at everton as well so you know i just find him massively frustrating because he appears to have everything and yet when he gets the really really big moves. It doesn't doesn't work for him,
1: Martin. If you were a uh, like, Liverpool, have obviously, heavily rotated, a lot of kids have played. If you were someone mm-hmm. that had played in the Carabao Cup all the way through the run, and then you're not mm-hmm. going to probably play in the final, would you be annoyed?
0: Yeah, but I think you'd,
1: as one of the younger players, you'd you'd definitely accept it. Um, like Chamberlain, for example, he's in the team of the tournament, he's played a lot of Carabao Cup, yeah, before. yeah, yeah. And he may not you'd be, be, you'd be disgruntled, that. but I don't think, I don't know,
0: this is conjecture, but I don't think. Chamberlain will, so Chamberlain will be expecting to start this game personally. I think he'll go into it with the mindset that Liverpool will play their best team. They're playing Chelsea. There's a, there's an element to that where they they want to get one over a, a sort of elite rival as well. It's not just the cup final. Um, so yeah, I, I think they they play their best team. Is so. Thiago in their best team,
2: Jonathan? Probably. We mentioned Liverpool squad. That's the, the great thing now. It's quite hard to say what their best team is. Um, it's very hard to say what the best front three is now that Diaz has arrived and yeah. uh, settled in so quickly. I mean, Firmino obviously is injured, so uh, he's out of the equation for this. Um, and, and I think, you know, Jota the seems to be a doubt as well. So maybe mm. yeah, that same front three they played last two games with, with Marno mm. through the middle. You know, the, the, the game away against Inter, although it was the you know, familiar two goal scorers of Firmino and uh, Salah, that, the, you know, the, the traditional front three. Were never on the pitch at the same time. All five played, and all of them fit together very well. Uh, the midfield, um, I guess you'd say, the best three will be Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago. Um, yeah, but it's not. Yeah, it's by no means obvious that.
1: Carby Elliott started, didn't he, against Inter? And he's a fantastic player. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see him get some some football on Sunday, Martin.
2: Yeah, and Curtis Jones was
0: excellent in in midweek against Leeds as well. Uh, so their options are strong, I just think Thiago, you saw the impact he had against Norwich when he came on he's he's so important to the way they progress the ball when they when they really need to um, when he starts, their win rate is up 14%, obviously he's had a lot of injuries and I think they're managing him in that sense, I think he's, if, if he were a fully fit player and he, to be fair he hasn't really been for a long time, he's had a lot of injuries throughout his career and he's had to be managed carefully but when he's fully fit I think he's one of the first names on the team sheet. Uh if we if you just look at who's got rating from starts alone, he's Liverpool's second top rated player this season behind Mo Salah. Uh Jota third, Trent fourth and Simikas who's another interesting player uh fifth just ahead of Robertson. And that that sort of um that sort of competition I think is where they've really leveled up and obviously the signing of Diaz is is another another example of that. But yeah, I think Thiago is pivotal to Liverpool being at their best uh, and and fighting for sort of the top silverware, whether the Carabao Cup is is that. And
1: it's up for debate, I guess. Feels like he stopped being that walking yellow card he was last season as well. Yeah, like he was going to get booked. Last
0: definitely season. he definitely took time to adapt. He started really well, and then he got the injury, didn't he? Against Everton, I think that sort of disrupted him, and he's had niggling injuries since. But he looks fully up to speed now. He's barely barely been booked since that. Crazy start. He, he he never really gets booked now, so that's a sort of highlights the fact that he is up to speed and yeah, uh, very much a Premier League player. And in my opinion, yeah, he, he would be one of the first names on the team sheet if he's 100% fit. I think.
1: And Jonathan, as we're now finding out, this is very, very Chelsea. Spend seventy odd million on Kepper, then spend half that on another goalkeeper who turns out to be more successful in in monday as as martin calls him should kepper play this one on sunday i suppose he's would want there if he went to penalties
2: monday uh did did win a penalty shootout uh earlier this month with with senegal uh without really having to do very much um <laughs> yeah watch one penalty hit the post and bounce wide and then sort of sort of stumbled on top of another one that was dribbled straight at him but yeah he he is not a uh He's not a great penalty saver. Keeper, I think, is better at that. Do you think of that going to the final? I don't know. I mean, I yeah. You, know, you asked the question earlier. If if you've been in the Carabao Cup team, are you annoyed to be missed out? I, I would say pretty much all positions you have no right to be, apart from possibly goalkeeper. Yeah. Um. But I, I, that's very dependent, I think, on whether there's been a, an explicit. Uh, conversation at the beginning of the season, saying you yeah, you are the the Cowboy Cup keeper and you will play every game. Um, I I don't know. I, I can see why Keppa particularly would would feel aggrieved if he were left out. But then you know, it's not like his record in Cowboy Cup finals of nothing. <laughs> a bit annoying. <laughs> is uh, is perfect. So if Karma comes around and bites him, I'm not going to have a huge amount of sympathy.
0: I think Keppa's been been good this season. Uh, he's certainly maybe kicked on with the with the lack of pressure with mendy coming in since he's since he's come in that weight has been lifted a bit uh and like i said he's 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 played in two well he's played in three penalty shootouts this season he was actually brought on for the penalty shootout in the super cup at the start of the season so we could see that but i do think that he's shown this season that he's dependable <laughs> it's it's hard, it's hard to um say that but yeah 12 games this season six clean sheets uh, he's only conceded eight goals his save success rate is brilliant 82 percent. it's better than monde's his his rating is better than monde's so yeah i think it would be very very harsh if he were dropped um and i think yeah that that penalty um record i think he's saved more penalties in shootouts than any chelsea
1: goalkeeper in history i think He's um, probably been involved in more than any of the probably been involved in he
0: But he, do, he, he does have a good record from penalties, so that, that could come into it. And I think he deserves to start based on his performances this season. Four of his clean sheets, four of his six clean sheets, I'm going to say it, for what it's worth, have come against Tottenham. So.
2: <laughs> he was sorry trying to bring on to replace him. Caballero. Caballero. He's spoken yeah.
0: about it since Kepper, and basically said he was basically feigning injury because they were... Un- under pressure and he was trying to save time and he was that's what he was trying to explain to sorry but obviously couldn't uh, lost and that's that was his claim
1: since which maybe does have some grounds um
2: well you shouldn't cheat should you <laughs> yeah. No, no.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't be a cheat that's the that's the message from this podcast we don't like cheats do not be yeah, a cheat okay. does he make the combined 11 martin and this is going to be a funny combined eleven, I think, because I think if you're playing three at the back, there might be a few Chelsea players in there. But if I was picking a four three, three, I think it might be the entire Liverpool eleven. <laughs> he does, he does uh, make it based on this season's ratings. Uh, and we've done it on
0: ratings across all competitions. Uh, so it is, it is Kepa. Uh, obviously, Kelleher is another one who's... He, he's. I think he's confirmed that he's going to be playing for Liverpool ahead of Alisson. Oh, really? I, I think so, yeah. He's a good so Kepa, to that, be fair, Kelleher. Yeah, so that, that's an interesting sort of duel in itself, but Kepa's the goalkeeper. Then it is we have gone for a four sort of three four two three one. Uh so it is the entire so
1: Liverpool. So you by right there, so you, you put a formation at near the, the team player.
0: Yeah. Uh it's fine. It's fine. I feel like this team would be okay. Um it is the entire Liverpool back four uh of Trent, Matic, Van Dyke, Robertson, uh, and then the two is Fabinho and Kovacic. Kovacic is a doubt, I believe, picked up a little injury. In the week, I think Tuchel is hoping that he's fit, but it's Fabinho and Kovacic rather than Kante or Jorginho. Uh, and the the sort of number 10, which Jonathan won't agree with, is Ziyech, who is also a slight doubt, I think, but has come into form of late where he's got a run of games uh, in the position that he sort of is probably best. Uh, he has come into form and scored some important goals. So it's, it's Ziyech, uh behind a sort of front three, so to speak, of Salah. Shotter who's, like Jonathan said earlier, a doubt as well, but not confirmed out. And Luis Diaz is on the left ahead of Mane. Uh,
2: Yeah, as you say, it just depends entirely which formation you're picking. So I went for 4-3-3 and I've got nine Liverpool players, Kante and Mount being the only two Chelsea players who get in. But, you know, Kante or Fabinho and Mount or Thiago, um, they're two really good teams. It's quite hard to pick. Okay, Martin, let's finish
0: with the bet builder. Yeah, so three legs this week. Two of them, I think, will be popular uh, because a lot of people will bet on these sort of uh, markets. So the first is Mo Salah to score. He's really good at football. Uh, He's come back from AFCON, picked up where he left off, scored his last three, scored in both meetings with Chelsea this season so far. Always has a point to prove against them, obviously, because they let him go prematurely, it has proven. Uh, We've also got Havertz to score. And so we're backing Havertz to to be the the starter up front. It's a gamble early. that feels
1: a gamble that does. Uh, uh,
0: he he was very good in midweek. He scored in three of his last five starts. He scored against Liverpool uh, earlier this season. He played started both games against Liverpool, and and they were probably two of Chelsea's best performances, weren't they? In very different ways. Uh, both got draws in both games, and obviously they they played. The the fixture at Stamford Bridge was a really surprising game. Liverpool came out and took the 2-0 lead, and then Chelsea played really, really well. Really good attacking football, really high-intensity football, uh, and he was part of that. So we got Havertz to score. He scored in both of the cup finals that he started for Chelsea, obviously the Champions League, and then more latterly scored the winner in the uh, Club World Cup final. And then we've got Rudiger to be carded. Um, he tends to be sort of in the referee's, Notebook in these sort of big games. He was in the Champions League final, he's been booked against strong opposition this season. Five yellow cards isn't a huge amount, but again, he was booked against Liverpool in the, in the one-all draw, and he's the man who's sort of likely to come up against Salah, isn't he, when Salah cuts inside? Um, so Salah to score, Havertz to score, and Rudiger to be carded has been boosted from 25 to 1
1: to 33 to 1. Thank you very much, Bet Victor. Any odds on Rudiger to have a shot from forty yards, like he does every single day? <laughs> you left you to ask. Get, get, get that you in have the bet builder. Sam. If you have got that in the bet <laughs> builder, that's one leg secure every single week. Right then, what's your score predictions for the Real Marelish Cup final, Martin? Who scored? Not that actually we planned this, but I'm just asking you what your prediction is.
0: Two one Liverpool. I think that might. I'm going to say two one Liverpool. I think that might be after extra
1: time, but um... exactly what I was going to say. Exactly the same prediction as me, Jonathan. 2-0 Liverpool. Right, let's move away from the silliness of the Carabao Cup and do our bread and butter. It's the Premier League. We've got a Premier League team of midweek, Martin? Probably unsurprisingly, after the 6-0 win uh, in
0: the week, fittingly, there are six Liverpool players in our Premier League team of the week. Uh, we we'll are starting goal, which is the controversial spot, uh, which has gone to Hugo Lloris, uh, who made four saves, I believe, in a 1-0 defeat to Burnley. It was the only two, two clean sheets kept uh, and... Allison and uh, Pope in that game had, had very little to, to do. So statistically, it's Lloris who gets the nod in our team of the week. The back four is Trent Alexander-Arnold, Van Dijk, who scored. Uh, ben Mee, who scored the winner for Burnley in that game against Tottenham. And Andy Robertson, who got an assist and has really picked up, I think, after a relatively slow start, possibly from that sort of competition that Simikas has provided. He's really upped his game and looks back to his best. Uh, it's a 4-4-2 you'll be pleased to hear uh, the sort of midfield two is Josh Brownhill who scored his first Premier League goal at the weekend and followed that up with an assist against Tottenham had a very good game and the player I mentioned earlier Curtis Jones uh, joins him in, in midfield he uh, completed all seven of his dribble attempts had uh, three of four shots on target as well he was very good and staked the claim I don't think he'll start uh, at the weekend but staked the claim to do so uh, the wide players are Salah, who obviously scored twice, and Zaha, likewise scored twice in a four-one win over Watford. And then he's joined by teammate John Philippe Mateta, who also scored in that game, and Sadio Mane, who got a perfect ten from us uh, in the game against Leeds uh, with a brace of his own. And maybe he too is sort of reacting to the competition, and and those signings are, are really paying off not just in terms of adding squad depth, but pushing those sort of regular starters to up their game. Obviously, he had a great uh, Cup of Nations and has come back in probably better form than he was before then, whereas Salah didn't have a great Cup of Nations and has just come back
1: and is still Mo Salah. Mane has come back in fine fetal. Has he done enough to get himself into the form rankings? He is not in the, form rank- in the top 10 form rankings,
0: uh, despite that, like I said, the 10 out of 10 that he got against Leeds. Uh, top of the pile is someone that you queried last week, even being in the 10, is now Bruno Fernandes. Uh, I can who, see he's picked up. Yeah, has emerged as a, a very important player again. James Ward-Prowse is up to two, showing why Villa were so persistent in trying to sign him. I'm really regretting that we couldn't get that done. Uh, he's it's all right, two. it's all right. The midfield on fire, Martin. Too, yeah, we're Martin. doing really, really well. He's uh, saying Kevin De Bruyne, third. Uh, Van Dyke and Matip are fourth and fifth, which bodes well ahead of the cup final. Uh, Fabinho is in there as well in eighth. Uh, it's Bowen sixth. I don't know why I've done that for from <laughs> fifth to eighth. <laughs> Van Dyke in fifth. Bowen sixth. Uh, Cancelo seven. Fabinho eight. Harry Kane dropping down to nine. Uh, obviously, after the midweek game, he's obviously excellent against Man City, which we'll come on to later. And it's Emi Buendia. He's actually what? clung on to place in 10th. Uh, is is getting good ratings for us, but continues to be the player who gets hauled off every week by Stephen Gerrard when we're looking for a goal, which is annoying me a little bit, but there we go.
1: Let's look at the Premier League games now individually, and we'll start with Leeds v Tottenham. If you want here to start, I think I'm right, but I'm not 100% sure. The John Scales darber. Play for Leeds and Tottenham? No I, think he, I think he did. Jonathan, you don't, you don't look sure? I'm not sure. Paul Robinson. Paul Robinson works. If John Scales is incorrect, of course. Robbie, or, of Keynes, course, right, Robbie Keane right for Most of these. It's a banker. I mean, the Robbie basically Keane.
2: With. Robbie Keane and Craig Bellamy. You can fill in most of these
1: with. Rob Green's always a good one as well. Mm. I know he didn't play for Tottenham, so he wouldn't be good for this. Uh, is he anybody here, googling
2: John Scales? Or
0: uh... I wasn't going to... <laughs> yeah,
2: it, it definitely needs confirming. Oh, I'll do it. Sorry, okay. right. but don't worry yourself. <laughs> uh, he all he started his career at Leeds, but didn't play a game for them.
1: But he's played so... for Tottenham. He, oh yeah, he played 33 games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think he works. I think, he, I, think <laughs> I can have that. Let's talk about those, then. Absolute shambles at the back, Jonathan. Mm. A mess. So it, it says uh, any evidence Bielsa can adapt to fix that. But he's not, not going to, really, is he? He's not going to change away players?
2: No, I mean, he's not going to adapt. He'll just try and do the same things better. They're, they're missing the absolute heart of that defence. Um, they've conceded 36 goals in the last 10 games. And that's a massive problem for them, I mean. Given given that stat, they've actually done quite well to take seven points in most ten games. Mm. Uh, and what you would say is they have played City and Liverpool in that run, um, which you know two games where they've taken the battering. So yeah, I, I don't think it's it's all woe there, but clearly that's a massive concern because they're not playing well elsewhere either. And you, you can understand that if you lose the if you lose the base then um, other things tend to fall apart.
1: The excellent news for Leeds, Martin, is that Phillips and Bamford are returning imminently. Of course, when they play Aston Villa at Ellen Road, of course they're back for that game. Why wouldn't they be? Phillips is a huge miss. Bamford's been a miss as well. But they are in serious danger now, aren't they?
0: Yeah, it's Phillips that's that's proven to be the big one now, I think. I think... They've started scoring goals. They score enough goals even without Bamford, which is credit to Bielsa as much as anything that he's got a relatively modest squad um, in the absence of so many players. Still, still able to cause teams real problems, but conceding 16 goals in February, in four games in February, I think that's only one fewer than Man City have conceded all season. So I think the game against Everton was the one that really concerned me to lose 3 0 at Everton. They'd played pretty well in most parts against Villa, most teams do. Um, and then go to go and lose 3-0 to Everton. And it's just like, what is happening here? And that yeah, that protection to the defence. They've always been an open team, but without Phillips there, uh, it's a big problem. And I think if you look further ahead, how long does Calvin Phillips stay stay at Leeds? Certainly if they go down, he leaves. Um, I don't think they will go down. Um, but there'll be teams looking at him 100% uh, in the summer and Rafinha as well. And then when you take out those two sort of star players, their team is is uh, a worry. I think even for Leeds fans, uh, they appreciate that Bielsa is sort of punching well above Leeds's weight in terms of uh, their squad depth and, and the quality within it.
2: Well, they've got the 19th highest wage bill. So, you know, yeah. If you've got the 19,000 wage bill and you have half a dozen players out all season, yeah. you're in trouble. It doesn't matter
1: who your coach is, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear who you two both think will go down, because you've just said Leeds won't go down. Who is going down then, Martin?
0: Brentford and uh, Norwich and Watford. Yeah, fair enough, Jonathan. So, Burnley look pretty decent now and have done for a while. They've only yeah. lost one in six, and that was to Liverpool, and they played well in that game. And, yeah, Newcastle have improved that much where I don't think they'll be really in trouble. You've got, you got Everton there who, and Leeds are the, other, are the other one, I think, at risk. Uh, there's, there's teams above those who aren't far above it, um, even Villa and Leicester and Palace, but I think those three will have enough. So it's from, I think, yeah, Leeds down or Brentford down, I think, uh, that are in trouble. And I think Brentford are sliding badly.
1: Do you agree with that, Jonathan?
2: Yeah, pretty much. I, I think Norwich and Watford. It's not quite all over them. I think they both have improved under the new managers, but whether they made those changes too late, and, and obviously yeah, the squads just aren't, aren't great anyway. It depends whether the you know, Everton under Frank Lampard have been good at home, bad away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, so I guess if you keep doing that, they'll, they'll be fine because they'll, they'll then pick up you know, more than the point in the game, which is all you need. If the away form is the true form that's that's the concern but equally it may be that the away form improves uh newcastle i think really aren't in trouble at all now um well i mean they are but i, I expect them to get enough points brentford is sinking fast Their home form isn't that bad i could just about keep them up burnley seemed to have really benefit from their little break uh
1: so yeah i'd go watford norwich and then Brentford would be the other one I'd worry about. Let's talk Spurs and their Spursy problems, Jonathan. I mean, really good against Manchester City on Saturday. Fantastic results, fantastic away performance. And then he is very Spursy to then go to Burnley and lose. Although you know Burnley are better than their their position suggests at the moment. Conte's post-match, I thought he's a bit off. You can't go around after the Man City game saying it's the best group of players you've worked with. And then just throw well, it. He didn't quite say that.
2: He said one mm, of the best groups, But but one but of still. the best groups.
1: Yeah. And then, um, and then on Wednesday like Mike out as if everything is doom and gloom and everything needs reviewing.
2: Yeah. And you know, on Saturday he was saying that yeah he, he goes into goes into work with a smile on his face because all the players are desperate to improve. And then on Wednesday he's saying they change the managers, the players don't change and the outcome doesn't change. So it's all the players' fault. That's just the way he is. You know part of his charisma is he's so emotional. Um and when things are going well that's that's a great thing that can carry everybody along in this sort of wave of euphoria when things are going badly you have the opposite um I, I you know his volatility is, is 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 part of how he manages and who he is uh I'm not sure it's particularly helpful but I don't think I equally don't think it's particularly surprising and I'm pretty sure that by Thursday morning he would probably forgotten about what he said and was
1: Getting on with preparing for this game. Very, very similar to my mum. She's Italian. I'm whispering in case she hears me because I'm here. <laughs> but very, 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 very similar traits. Honestly, they, they, could, be the, they could be the same burst. I think they got like a house on fire and maybe set the house on fire. Spurs obviously still can get top four, Martin, but the consistency is a problem. Yeah,
0: I just feel like he was, at the time, he was almost begging to be sacked. This isn't good enough. We lost four in five. I don't lose four in five. I thought it was really harsh. And uh, as a as a Tottenham player, what do you th- what do you think about all these mixed messages? Uh, do you just sort of shrug it off and say look, he's a he's an emotional guy, a passionate guy, which he obviously is. But he's sort of not directly insulting them one week and praising them the next. But it's it's, it's near enough. Um, bas- I, th- I think he's just saying that this, this this squad of players isn't good enough for me like it's, it's, it's a level below me I think I think he's I thought it was harsh and I think he's almost playing up to the fact that he knows the Tottenham fans don't like Daniel Levy so he he has a sort of bit of leeway there that some of the fans are like yeah he's, he's speaking out it's great but this is really really harsh I don't see how it helps because they aren't in a bad position um to attack that top four and certainly to get European football again uh and they've got the player they do they do have the players to be able to do that and they're not out of it so i don't think these sort of just rapid mood swings uh, are going to help matters when there's there's plenty to play for
1: at Tottenham will they win on well, when's the game i don't know where the game is will they win when they play at some point this weekend martin what's <laughs> the, the, your prediction the, the early kick off on saturday saturday
0: yeah uh will they win i don't even have my predictions up in front of me shambles they
1: will win Tottenham are going to win. 2-1. 2-1, 2-1 to Tottenham. 2-1 according to the who-scored guys. Jonathan? 2-1 according to me to Tottenham. 2-1 according to Jonathan Wilson, that guy. And I'm going 3-1 to Spurs. Yeah, Leeds yeah. can't defend. That's got more right. than two Spurs. If they scored three at City, they'll score at least three at Leeds.
0: Logic. That seems seem like the sort of game that will play into Kane and Son's hands and yeah,
1: Kulisovsky on the break. Yeah. Completely agree. Let's talk Everton v Man City. Now, and I've realised, you know, the Derby's thing. Must have already done these games at, at some point this season. So <laughs> yeah, there should be we'll no excuse back, for giving, really not getting them. one. It's a <laughs> jolly less Scott Derby, Everton v Man City. And Jonathan, have we learned anything from Frank Lampard's start at Everton?
2: No, not really. <laughs>
1: cool. Can uh, we I mean played, me to the next point? Um,
2: <laughs> but yeah, they've played four games, the two at home, one of which is in the cup they've won and looked really good. The two away, they've lost and looked pretty bad. Um. Which admittedly is better than the Benitez, where they just look pretty bad all the time. <laughs> but uh, you yeah, know, it's so up and down, and I don't, you know, there's been nothing to suggest that Lampard's corrected what was going on at Chelsea in terms of being caught on the break. But equally, um, yeah, the the the, the, yeah, the flip flop of form has been so extreme. I think it's very hard to, to read anything that, I and mean, I think that just speaks of a of a squad that's so sort of low on confidence. Um, I think the huge positive is how good the atmosphere was that Leeds Game at Goodison, which mm. um, the Goodison crowd is a crowd that can be pretty negative pretty quickly. I think a few managers have felt that the crowd didn't really give them a, a fair chance, uh, but they seem very much behind Lampard, and that, that that's got to be a good thing. I don't need to be anywhere near enough to beat City, but having said that, uh, Lampard's Chelsea did beat City at home. Uh, the night that Liverpool won the league. It was that result, that 3-2. Uh, so Lampard has proved himself in the past capable of organising a team to get in be, behind City.
1: And he's let Donny van der Beek be a footballer again, Jonathan. In one game, yeah. That's, that's still more, that's probably more than he was allowed to be a footballer at Manchester United, it, it fails.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't I just don't like the make of that squad at all. It doesn't make any no. sense. Yeah, that's too, the, too many players who've sort of, I don't want to say fail, but have not quite done it at other clubs and then picking them up on big wages. It's just a bad way of running a club. You can afford one or two of them, but not not a squad full of them.
0: Yeah, they don't know. As a squad, as a team, they don't really have an identity. And they've hired a manager who I don't think really has an identity. Like, what is Frank Lampard's way? (laughs) I hate that word. Like, when teams have a way, and and everyone just says, Oh, I like to play attacking football. Mm, Great. Um, but yeah, I don't think Frank Lampard, even at Everton, obviously he's come in and he's played two different formations already, and he's he's adapting and he's learning learning his squad. And but I think the signings of both Deli Ali and Van, Van der Beek have confused things further. Obviously, Deli Alley's not started yet, and we t- touched on that whether he could start with Van der Beek, and obviously they haven't haven't yet. And I think you're just adding too many players to an already sort of quite heavy squad of mediocre players in a lot of positions and yeah finding an identity in that squad is going to be difficult for a lot of managers but I think Everton really needed to hire a manager with a with a clear plan I think when when Villa interviewed Lampard for the Villa job there was it came out that they were quite underwhelmed by his by his interview and just that he didn't I don't think he really had a sort of a clear plan like Gerard had. And obviously Gerrard's plan is sort of gone a bit of late, but he does have a way of playing and he will stick to it. And over time, you'd hope that develops the team, but Everton and Lampard are, are a fit in that they don't really have a clear way forward. I don't think.
2: Do you think Jaron and Lampard will ever win on the same weekend? Do you think that's possible or can we just
1: not win together? <laughs> Is that not happened yet? <laughs> no, yeah, Villa didn't like Frank Lampard's presentation. Sounds like Everton were wowed by the presentations. The presentations even got either got better or or like Everton have got low standards. Or Villa have got high standards. I'm not sure which which one it is, but yeah, I think that was one of the reasons he got the Everton job was they were wowed by his presentation. So it's weird to hear that. Well, Did his
2: presentation ever. consist of some graffiti on the wall? Wasn't wasn't that the main? <laughs> yeah,
1: point? there was more the Everton fans' presentation
2: than
0: <laughs> not wanting. Um, What's his name? I can't remember his name. Uh, uh Vicha Pereira. Pereira. Yeah, I'm um, not wanting him because they hadn't heard of him. So
2: he just got the Corinthians
1: job two days ago. How oh, is he? Mm-hmm. That's knowledge. we've already covered Liverpool's squad depth in some respects in the Carabao Cup final preview but Jonathan their firepower I guess is now going to be the main difference between them and City because City don't have that out and out striker as we've all discussed many many times Liverpool have just feels like they've got a little bit more firepower now
2: Possibly I, I, the, the lack of a striker doesn't bother me at City I think the, the way they play they're good enough they don't, don't really need one I'm not saying one wouldn't perhaps improve him if he was the right one but he'd have to have a lot of other attributes to, to, to fit into that structure um, you do wonder whether the Grealish signing is the first sort of big mistake they've made with the signing. Um, I know he's you know, injured at the moment; not much you can do about that. But the, the fact he hasn't settled. But you know, we said it before that a lot of a lot of players, a lot of attacking players, struggle in their first season at City and then come good in the second. So I wouldn't necessarily write him off yet. Uh, I still think City have the better squad depth. I mean, they have got people like Nathan Ake, who's sort of way down the pecking order, who can suddenly chuck in. Um, and he costs 40 million and is clearly a really, really good footballer. So I think City still do have a greater depth, but you you may be right that Liverpool have a greater attacking depth.
1: And what's your prediction, Jonathan?
2: Uh, 3-1 to City.
1: Same here. Martin? Uh, We've gone 4-1 to City. Not a pretty one for Everton, I don't think. But we move on now to the just-a-minute section, and Jonathan, we're going to start with you, Southampton v Norwich. You're going to be surprised to learn I have absolutely no one in mind for this derby. Uh, Mick Shannon. Mick Shannon. We'll take it. I don't know who he is, but we'll take Didn't it. Do you know who Mick Shannon is? I've heard of the name. But I don't know anything about him. Horse race trainer. Uh, Played for Norwich when they beat Sunderland in the Milk
2: Cup Final in 1985. Famous that... for his windmilling arm celebration. Uh, Andy Townsend. Andy uh, Townsend? I know.
1: I know who he is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Nathan uh, Redmond. I used that last time. That's a, yeah. that's a banker, Nathan Redmond. Andy Townsend. When I... One of my favourite Villa players has ever been, and I was doing talk sport before the Carabao Cup final a few years ago, and I was talking about Villa. And I was getting pumped, and Andy Townsend was like patting me on the back whilst I was talking. I was absolutely, I was, I was absolutely, I was, I was, I was absolutely hammered. On talk sport, but I was talking talking about the guy, Andy Townsend, was really geeing me up, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I just thought, What a captain, what a leader! Let's let's, let's do the just a minute section. Sorry,
2: well, I that remarkably looks safe now. I think, uh, a 10th, 12 points clear of the relegation zone. I think they're not even really in that conversation, which really uh, is a marked change from earlier in the season. Uh, they've won five of the last eight in all competitions, playing really well. Um, Norwich, uh, I mean, they're yeah, obviously in big trouble, five points adrift. They had been playing a lot better, I think. You know, they'd they'd won three and drawn one of the four they played before those those defeats to City and Liverpool. And even that Liverpool game, the fact they went ahead, I, th- yeah, I think they do look a lot better than they did early in the season. It's just probably too little, too late. Um, Adam Eder's out for them. There's doubts over Rupp and Sorensen. Uh Krul should be fit. Um McCarthy, uh, Purcell, uh Voinovich uh, all that for Southampton Teller a doubt as well. Uh but I think Southampton are just too good for them. So I'll go Southampton to win this two one.
1: I've gone Southampton to Norwich Nil, Martin. Yeah, Southampton 2, Norwich nil as well. Martin, your first game is Brighton v Villa, the Tommy Elphick derby. Off you trot. Both of these sides
0: have just one win from their last six and straddle mid-table where they're all but certain to remain. The Seagulls are the draw specialists and after four wins from their opening five matches, they've just won just three of their last 20 since. Uh, Graham Potter's side approached this game on the back of consecutive defeats for the first time all season with a 3-0 reverse against Burnley last time out, undoubtedly their worst performance of the season. Villa have put in a couple of candidates for that title in their last two matches of their own. And Steven Gerrard is facing criticism from some sections of the fan base for failing to adapt his approach. Just as they were in the reverse fixture, the team's high fullbacks were caught up the pitch time and again against Watford and his decision to make only one change from the defeat to Newcastle rankled with some, uh, and I'm starting to think Morgan Sanson's just a myth at this stage. Uh, this is the reverse fixture of Gerrard's first match in charge, but much has changed since, a morale-boasting 2-0 win, most notably slipping back in, into their old ways in terms of leaving their defence, far too exposed. Emi Martinez was the man of the match in this fixture last season, but those sort of performances tended to have masked Villa's defensive inadequacies, and he's not been on the form that he was last season. I think that's that's showing, uh, so
1: we're going for a narrow 1-0 Brighton win. He had a good game on Saturday, I will say, against Watford. Uh, he did. Yeah, 2-1 to Brighton. Two ones to Brighton and absolute blind faith from me. No logic behind it whatsoever. Brighton nil Aston Villa two. <laughs> now, now it's Brentford v Newcastle, Jonathan. We all know what derby this is, don't we? Carl Court? Well oh, it can no. be, but it was you know he's the Ivan Tony derby. This was the one time I've known more about football than you Ivan Tony Derby through the podcast series. Brentford v. Newcastle, Jonathan. Uh well, Brentford are only
2: two points above Newcastle, which and they played two games more, which is a sign of the the, the trouble they, they're in, I think um having started the season so well they've lost eight of the last 10 in the league um the one consolation for them is their home form that in the last seven at home they've won three drawn one lost three and those three defeats were against city united and wolves um city obviously a city wolves were playing very well at the time united although they're not playing particularly well they just don't lose games at the moment in the league uh, Newcastle unbeaten in six Much improved since that Cambridge defeat In the FA Cup As players have come in They've uh, won three of those six uh, The one concern for them Is probably their away form They're only taking 7 points in 11 games Away all season And they've only scored eight In those games And that's better only than Norwich They're without uh, Richie, Hayden, Trippier and Wilson Trippier, I think a big loss With his set plays uh, Fraser, San Maximo and All doubts Gives them the problem at fullback. Jean-Vier Fosu and Jensenet for uh, Brentford. Jorgensen, Antonio and
1: Eriksson could make his first start, but I think Newcastle will win 1-0. Exactly the same for me. Who scored, guys? Full house. 1-0 Newcastle. All 1-0s. So expect that not to come in if you are having a bet with Bet-Victor at the weekend. Uh, Manchester United v Watford-Martin, the Danny Welbeck derby. Yeah, having suggested on this pod last week that Jesse Lingard might be United's
0: best fit on the right at present, Ralph Rangnick was clearly watching, so he made his first league start of the season, failed to take his chance though, with Jadon Sancho also taking further confidence from last week's show, with his highest rating in a United shirt against Leeds last time out. Marcus Rashford returned to the side in midweek, but was poor again, with Anthony Alango instead scoring a crucial equaliser and in line to start here. Watford followed up a predictable first win in 12 games against Aston Villa last week with an equally predictable 17th defeat of the season at Palace in midweek. They may be without Josh King here, so Emmanuel Dennis is likely to move into a central position. He scored one and assisted two of Watford's goals in a 4-1 win that cost Solskjaer his job earlier in the season. That Villa victory is the Hornets' only win since then, while Man United have only lost once inside 90 minutes in that time. Watford have only scored th- one goal across their last seven visits to Old Trafford, where they haven't picked up a single point since 1985. United have conceded just three goals in six home games in the league under Ranić, having failed to keep a clean sheet at Old Trafford prior to that. So a routine win seems likely it's just a case of which which half Man United turn up for. Uh, we're going 2-0 to Man United.
1: 3-1 Manchester United. Jonathan? 2-0 United. 2 nil to United. Palace v Burnley I've been scrambling around in my head. It's really put me off, but I have come up with absolutely nothing. Jonathan, do Gabor, you know?
2: Kirai. Did he have a oh big my... spell at Burnley? I uh, don't know. I think he Not. did. He
0: just spell... No. Who is it? Who's... Hennessy? But... Is Hennessy at Burnley
2: now?
1: Hennessy. Yeah, Hennessy works. Um... He's a current Burnley player, which I don't like, but he does work. That He definitely played for both.
2: Well, I look up Kirai. I'm pretty sure he played there for a the season. Addy, I can buy you as well. Okay, that's a good one. Palace's win against Watford was was a bit odd. Um that Palace have been the team who've underperformed XG the most all season. Um and so that four one win was sort of XG's revenge that actually Watford had, had marginally the better XG in that game. So um I mean it's sort of it's a reset for Palace and, and I think Watford could be pretty frustrated with the way that turned out with the two leg goals. Um you think that's probably enough to keep Palace safe that uh they only probably need six or seven more points to be absolutely guaranteed a safety. Uh, and that win was important in that it ended a, a run of six uh, without a win. Uh, Burnley, since they had the, the nice little midwinter break, they've only lost one in six since. Uh, and they've only let in two goals in that time. So the defence has got a lot better during that time off. This game was 3-3 at Turf Moor. I'd be very surprised if there's anything like that, goals, that number of goals this time. So I'm going to say
1: nil nil. Nil nil. Jonathan, brave Martin. It's very rare, isn't it, that we get a nil mm. nil on this. Mm. Uh, one all, we've gone for. One all. I've gone for one all as well. And Gabor fernink Karali did play for Burnley 27 yeah. times, 104 times for Crystal Palace. What it says here is six foot three, which. I've watched him play for Villa at Villa Park. He's not six foot three. <laughs> you at only all. looked at his legs, though, didn't you? Nice. you <laughs> he's, yeah, in his, in his, his joggers, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's never six foot three. Honestly, that, that's not true <laughs> at, I mean, at I all. I
2: was watching Arsenal Wolves last night, and um, my missus pointed out Bruno Large is really tall, but I then couldn't <laughs> find out how tall he was. And I googled it, and the only reference I could find that he was five foot seven. He's clearly not five foot seven. <laughs> Five and seven. <laughs> so then you spent the entire second half kind of obsessed by trying to find out how tall Bruno Large is. So if well, anybody knows, if you could let us know, that would be that'd be great. I know I he's the worst really in the world media
1: team. I'll ask him. I'll ask Getting him if he's tall. Yeah, please. I'll get. I'll get, I'll ask him. <laughs> Shout-out to Yanni Macaronis. I don't think he watches the podcast, but hello, Yanna. Just by magic, we're going to talk about West ham Wolves now. It's an easy one because I remember it from last time. It's the Paul Instarber. <laughs> this is lazy, isn't it, now? Yeah.
0: A big game between the two outsiders for a top-four finish. Defeat for side may well spell the end of those hopes, given the psychological advantage it would give to the other team. West Ham have won just one of the last five in the league and were somewhat fortunate to earn that narrow victory against struggling Watford. Sue Fallon of Bonner remain sidelined and they've lost more than more of the 15 matches that the latter has missed than they've won. Uh, Wolves have a fully fit squad to choose from by comparison with Huang Hee Chan back fit and on the score sheet in midweek. and Johnny and Pedro Neto also return to the side, hoping for a first start of the season in this one. Given the latter was Wolves' best player last season, his comeback coinciding with a genuine push for European football could be a massive boost. Having led at Arsenal for 72 minutes, only to lose in the f- in stoppage time, Bruno Larger, needs an immediate response from his side. There's only been one draw in the last 16 meetings between these sides, but in that time they've never met in the position that they find themselves now. And given neither side is likely to come out all guns blazing, a uh, point here seems likely
1: to the who scored guys. We are going one or one 1-0 Wolves. I've gone 1-0 to West Ham. Thomas Suchek scoring a rare goal. Not scored as many this season. So yeah, I'm going to throw in a goal scorer as well. Do I get extra points for that? No. Well, okay, um, <laughs> what is what is the what is the league table looking up for the predictions league? How did we get on last week? Very good question, Dan. Full of them. Yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs>
0: no. Come on, <laughs> I haven't had time to chat. You really haven't had time. You've had a week. You, you know, I do things in between. Like, I, I'm just waiting for these results to come in. And
2: no, all of us get our meals cooked by the mams these days. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and dig, and dig me out on the
1: podcast Jonathan to make my own food I'll, I'll have you know um I' got one I know I got one score bang on and I got southampton two Everton 0 last week. There you go. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm good again. <laughs> Actually, I don't know why anyone else did. That's just one that stood out to me that I remember. We'll have an update on the predictions leg. for Those will. of you on the edge of your seat, waiting to find out what's going on, because I know there's plenty of you. Uh, finish with the Saturday 3 p.m. treble, then, Martin. What have we got going on? Uh, so the who scored guys? The who scored guys leg is Burnley
0: double chance. So Burnley to win or draw at Palace. Obviously, we talked about how good a run they're on at the moment and how much they've improved since that break. They've also got 10 points from their last 12 games against Palace. So a win or draw uh, seems a pretty good bet to us. I think that's around evens as a as a single bet. So I think that's a very good price at Palace, who aren't particularly strong at home. I think they've lost their last three at home. So, mm.
1: yeah. Jonathan, what have you gone for?
2: Did I go for United to win to nil against Watford?
1: You did indeed, also? yes.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Watford just can't score goals, can they? So oh, they do at Villa Park, Jonathan. They can score one yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure those goals count. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's just a question of having United score, uh, but yeah, I think they'd be disappointed to concede. I mean,
1: our, our treble of everyone winning to nil last week went superbly, didn't it? it? it did, was yeah. Zero for zero for three, was it? Zero, yeah, it was zero. three, <laughs> yeah. Oh dear! So, but stay with us though, because this week we're going to have a winner. I have gone for Newcastle to just simply win at Brentford. Is that what I've gone for? Yeah that's correct well because sometimes you like to change it That's fair. and, and <laughs> what does this come out as in the magic computer uh, so it was
0: 11 to 1 with Bet victor which was already like head of the market and they've boosted it further to 13 to 1 so I think that's a, a good price for all things involved in so that's Newcastle to win uh, that's Manchester United to win to nil against Watford and Burnley to win or draw at Palace that's
1: uh, 13 to 1 i like that I yeah
0: do i like think that. It, i think that's a it looks a good price for that particular
1: bet person I'll be all over that tomorrow. That does us for this week's iteration of the Edge of the Box podcast in association with Bet Victor by Who Scored. No idea why I decided to run through everyone that's involved in the podcast with Martin Lawrence, Jonathan Wilson and myself, Dan Bader. If you're not already subscribed to the channel with your post notifications on, if you could do that, that would really, really help us. Let's please get those subscriber numbers up. We'll be back again next week. Enjoy all the football at the weekend and as ever, stay safe.